You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Thesis on Joan, queers. Today we're sitting down with May and Teo. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join us as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folk, from Brooklyn cabaret performers to people backstage and on Broadway. For many queers, theater has been an escape. This podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're heading as a community while queering the canon along the way. So, how's it going, Holly? This week has been a little hectic for me, but I am really glad to be here with you and to check in and, you know, talk about some queer theater shit. Yeah, I know. If we don't talk to each other for like a week and a half, I'm like, oh, we have so much to catch up <laughs> <I know>. on. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to catch up on was the article that came out. We are recording this on the 26th, and it came out this past weekend, um, October 23rd, I think in like the Sunday New York Times. And it's about how... The title is, As Broadway Returns, Shows Rethink and Restage Depictions of Race. And it basically goes through a bunch of long-running Broadway shows and things that they have updated and changed in the past <laughs> few months as they prepare. I know, I'm already, you can already tell from my tone, my thoughts on some of this, <laughs> as uh, things they've changed as, as they look to reopen. Um, but I know you got a chance to read it, so I just wanted to kind of check in on how this how it felt to read this article and things that stood out to you yeah I think like I think all the changes are good to make to the shows but they're just so small and cosmetic that like mm -hmm. like especially like a Lion King like how do you you can't fix that like you can't fix that this white woman you know um appropriated all this culture from black folks and made a bunch of money and made herself famous doing that. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can't really just change a couple of phrases around and take out the word monkey and say like, Hey, we fixed that. It's so cosmetic. And it's, and to your point too, with like Julie Taymor, and then it's like the book of Mormon team. It's just like a bunch of white dudes who put this show together. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, I guess my question is like, is it, worth even 
bringing back this stuff at all. Like I, I get, I mean, it's a commercial industry, right? And we keep thinking about that, but it feels like band-aids on something that's just not necessary or appropriate. Never was, but now everyone's kind of on the same page about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, hopefully I, I'm like, why are we even bringing it back? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like in all these discussions, uh, the artists bring up or the producers or whatever bring up like, oh, we thought about should we even exist anymore? But then we decided, yes, we should. Uh, and I'm not sure why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the one line that like really infuriated me, I like pulled it out. <laughs> My note says, the hell is this? <laughs> They're talking about Book of Mormon actors and it said black actors are increasingly willing to speak up. I'm like, I'm sure they were always willing, but before they were like, I'm going to lose my job because not everyone's on the same side as me. And it's just like, I hated the the switching it over to like, oh, well, finally, black people are speaking up about this. Right? And it's like, that, is, that has never been the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And this also reminds me because the article also talks about Hamilton, about the, the non-binary actor who's suing uh, the production because of the uh, the harassment they experienced with, mm-hmm. from other actors. And it's just like, it's so, I feel like um, taking advantage of otherness is so pervasive in the theater industry, whether it's race, gender, ability, you know, size, like that's just such a norm. And only now, yeah, are people able to kind of speak up about that without fear of mm-hmm. losing their jobs. But there's, I think there's still that huge fear of that. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to like, who's holding the money and who's buying the tickets for commercial shows. Like, man, who we're about to talk to on this episode is, talks about how it's inevitable that your audience ends up being a lot of like, cis het white people Mm -hmm. typically older white people and I feel like the changes that are being made are like just enough for them to feel okay about still seeing these shows Mm -hmm. you know but not enough to like actually bring up important issues or change minds and yeah I don't know it's and they talk a lot about like the idea of shows being frozen which I've always had a big problem with anyway (laughs) because I feel like it kills the point of theater, right? The like beauty of it is like, it is living, breathing, changing and freezing things is just for the benefit of, of reviews. And I, I don't know. It got me thinking like, have people been hiding behind the, well, we have to freeze the show idea mm. for not making like real changes to harmful material. Sure. Yeah. I remember when they like changed Avenue Q when, you know, George Bush wasn't president anymore. Like Mm -hmm. there has, there is a history of changing things uh, when it's convenient. And right. Yeah. And this article also talks about Jagged Little Pill and the creative team going back and doing rewrites. And it's like, if you are revisiting the show for that, why are you not revisiting, you know, the character of Joe and making them Mm -hmm. non-binary again? And why are, yeah. Ugh. The opportunity was is is there. It's still, yeah, yeah. This article just like ugh, 
so many articles are just one big commercial anyway. And this one was like, so obviously like you could almost feel the like editor paid for by like <laughs> banner around it, you know, like, mm. being like we're okay now. Um, and it's, I don't know. It felt like kind of sinister to me is mm. my takeaway from it. And I don't want shows to be so easily given the like, you're fine. Yeah. Stamp of approval. The check list we've done it mm-hmm. we're now equitable and diverse yeah what have they done to book a mormon to even salvage it like, yeah <laughs> like you have to redo that entire show mm-hmm. yeah i think it said it like it now centers the people of uganda and not it's not about the white missionaries and i'm like did you cut the whole like first hour of the show yeah. <laughs> right yeah, a comical white savior narrative is still a white savior narrative. Mm-hmm. It's just, it needs, it's made its money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can go its way now, you know? Yeah. And I was, um, what show was I watching? Uh, oh, The L Word. <laughs> oh, I meant to text you about this anyway, because I finally finished it. Oh, God. And I was like, oh, God, this is like what's going to happen to Sex in the City, too, where it's like, all these people of color they're adding to the like ensemble mm-hmm. are just going to get shat on because it's still just about the central white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I know. And but... it's, you can't fix that. It's just, that's, it was created from white supremacy created centering white people. And unless you like completely push those people to the side, like it's not going to be, fix just throw it out mm-hmm. basically is can i just talk about how i saw laura benanti at 54 below yes so please. this is the the second like live in-person show i've seen since the pandemic and we got uh wicked 54 below yeah <laughs> and i only went because we got press tickets through mm-hmm. our podcast so mm-hmm. i want to talk about this um 54 below it you know wasn't a specifically queer thing but i love laura benanti so i want to go see her and Oof, this is not the way I want to go back to theater, folks. Like, <laughs> I am me, like, it was their Diamond series. So all, I looked on the website, all the tickets were 300 to $400 and included like a Wild. three course meal. So of course, like your audience is all old white people. So I get there and my friend Ryan's with me and, you know, um, I had just like my regular outfit on of like a t-shirt and like nicer pants. And I had a bunch of uh, bags with me because I had a show the next day for work. So I had like some materials with me and like, Ooh, the front of house guy, he just like looked me up and down and he was displeased. Uh, and then when he saw my name on the list and saw I was a, a press ticket, he like immediately changed his tune, gave oh me gosh. a place to like put my stuff. Um, but yeah, as soon as we walked into that space, like I felt immediately, stared at and like very much the center of attention just because we were so different. Um, and I had like bad bathroom experiences where like women coming into the bathroom saw me and like literally like jumped back (laughs) to look at the door. (laughs) It was rough and it was, yeah. Um, that is not the, the kind of theater I want to go back to. Um, and and I don't I think I don't really like those kind of spaces either because you're so seen and mm-hmm. the house is so small you're all kind of looking at each other and that is not the kind of space I want to be seen in. Um, yeah, so Laura is lovely. 
She's very great. Had a very great concert. Uh, loved everything about it. Well, she had some fat jokes that I was very cringy at. Um, so if you're, yeah, Laura, please cut the fat jokes from your show. Don't do it anymore. You don't need it. Yeah. Um, have we, have we not learned? Okay. I'm not going to go on that. Um, (laughs) so yes, she is such a beautiful singer. She's so funny and talented. Uh, she had amazing backup performers as well. Um, but yeah, it was not, it was not a very welcoming or friendly experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah not fun did ryan enjoy the show yeah and ryan didn't know who laura was so love that they got an amazing (laughs) intro to them to laura and like also does a lot of cabaret work uh so and a lot of like one person shows so i think it was great for them to see um a a version of that and Mm -hmm. all the banter was great research Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah well we have some things that are might be more exciting yeah <laughs> to see coming up so this gets us into our action of the app uh it's a little different this week we uh we really want to promote all of our prior guests they have a bunch of work coming up that looks awesome so uh if you can go see it uh we highly encourage this um and here's here's a little taste of what's coming yeah. So first, I think, I mean, I'm excited about all of them, but I think I'm especially excited about this one because um, it's like a combo of previous guests, right? Um, Javier De Bruin, Javi, uh, has their, their show, uh, Lucier Nagas, uh, is being produced with National Queer Theater. It's going to be at the 14th Street Y. Uh, this month, so November 11th through the 30th, tickets are on sale. I think they start at $25. Um, just like from what we know of Hobby's work, I'm so excited to check this out. I think this is one I'm definitely going to try to go to in person. Yeah, we should set a date. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Twee McCallum, who was on recently, uh, their Broadway debut on Chicken and Biscuits is on Broadway January through January 2nd, 2022. And this is theater adjacent they mentioned theater occasionally but drew gregory has a new podcast with christina tucker and it's called wait is this a date and it's all about queer dating and queer sex and um it's really funny and it's worth checking out lady dane figueroa aditi is going to be playing ruby and august wilson's seven guitars at arena stage in dc and that's november 26th through december 26th and Azure D. Osborne Lee's play Mirrors, the long-anticipated Mirrors, yeah. is premiering virtually on November 10th, 2021. Um, it's also playing in person at the Parody Productions Awards Ceremony. Uh, but you can find out more. We'll put a link in the show notes to find out uh, how to stream that online. Yeah, so check those folks out. I'm very excited to see some of that. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, 
and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. May Ann Teo is a queer immigrant from Singapore making theater and film at the intersection of artistic, civic, and contemplative practice. Their critically acclaimed work has been seen at The Bushwick Star, The Shed, Shakespeare's Globe, Woolly Mammoth, Theatre Works Hartford, Belgium's Festival de Liege, the Edinburgh Fringe, Beijing International Festival, among others. They are the Associate Artistic Director of New Work at Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Well, welcome to Thesis on Joe, Mayan. I'm so happy to welcome you here. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. And we always start out with our guests sharing their name, pronouns, and anything else you'd like to share about how you identify. Oh, thank you. Uh, I may and you. Uh, they and she pronouns. And um, I learned this from my friend Elbey. Uh, they're like, I like they and she and used in rotation. So like, preferably like even in a sentence. Great. And the way that they broke it down was so brilliant, right? They're like, sometimes in says spaces, I'm like, don't trust the she. And then sometimes, do you know what I mean? Like, like she, she broke it down so brilliantly and I learned so much from them about that. And I learned how much that made me feel so seen. Mm. Um, so they and she in rotation is delicious. Thank you very much. And also like either one, whenever I feel really already safe in the space with a they and a she. Thank you very much here. <laughs> um, I would also want to say about myself, I'm a Singaporean immigrant. It feels really alive right now. It feels really alive when, like, you know, there are refugees at the doorstep <laughs> that, that folks are turning away. It feels so alive to not have been born on this soil and, and just to, you know, and, and I'm not at all comparing m my experience of immigration here um, to refugees. It's, it's just so alive what we consider home, what we can consider home and the borders that separate us right now. I'm just really thinking about that, about, about the interconnectedness of our experience and how humanity is dead set on not, on like not allowing interconnectedness to happen. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it, it's such a, it's so alive in me. Um, I am a theater maker and a filmmaker and an artist um, I'm an educator um, and a director, a divisor, a dramaturg, um, a cultural producer, um, a daughter, um, a, a sibling. Um, and I think I also want to say that, like, I'm deeply thinking about what it means to identify as anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, uh, what am I going to say that might be like, oh, yes, I'm in that small subset and I am with you. And what can I say that connects more of us together um, that we all have common experience? And so what, what about identity is like dividing us and connecting us? Um, yeah, I'm just going to sit with that for a moment. Thanks for asking. Oh, yeah. Thank you for such a thoughtful answer. Um, 
And thinking about your work, uh, it, you've said it exists at this intersection of artistic and civic and contemplative practice. And can you share how those practices intersect with what you do? Yeah, I mean, you know, as an artist, I am deeply excited about the form and how the form can uh, paradigm shift us <laughs> into understanding something new with the content that that to me should be civically minded, right? So the the artistry for me is like, what is it now that we're inside of? What is this experience that is going to be burned inside of our soul? Um, that was something that I remember one of my favorite teachers, Robert Woodruff, said to me. He was like, I don't just want to make a play. I was going to go and see a play. <laughs> they're like, left and they're like, I went to the theater. I saw a play. <laughs> he was like, I want to make something that that is burned inside someone's mind forever. And that's the work he makes. He literally mm -hmm. makes that work. And I remember the work that he has burned inside my brain because that's his intention, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I think my intention is like, how do I make form and how do I look at the form of something or the design of something that is like that, that the metaphor and the layers of metaphor are so rich that it connects to people on multiple levels um, where it's a visceral experience and it, it um, resonates on many levels and lasts. So that's artist, artistic, civic. Um, I am like only interested in work that uh, contemplates um, and is progressive of who we are right now. As citizens to each other, as global citizens to each other, as like being in community with each other, of how we even name a community, of how we name what we vote for, who gets to vote, all of those things. Like I, I, I just feel like how we are to each other is civic mindedness. And then that could be, you know, legal constructs, but it's certainly much more about um, human being to human being. And then the contemplative practice, um, it's the thing that saves me. It is, it is truly um, um, quite simply what is, like being present with what is. What is it now? What is it now? If that's in the rehearsal room and I'm like, oh, wow, something's happening in the rehearsal room that's really hard and problematic. How can we be with what is not to um, soothe it over, but to understand and to have more understanding of what that is and to be able to make decisions to act from a place of understanding you know so i think about like art and activism right so like um activism to me is asking people to act and art to me is asking people to be awake mm -hmm. so making art and activism to me is making actions that are from an awakened state hmm. and and how that <laughs> in itself can be um, different from what we're actually asked to do. Buy, buy, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this. You're gonna feel better if you buy this, if you buy this, if you buy this, right? 
how can we shift that paradigm to making decisions from an awakened state to be with each other better um, in beautiful paradigm shifting ways? like need to just awaken state <laughs> just need that like tattooed on my arm just be like oh that that was like so beautiful thank you for sharing that yeah. and um you kind of answered this already with the the way that your work comes together but is there anything else you'd like to share about common themes that run through your work i mean you know I am so grateful to all of those, all of the artists that I've collaborated with who have taught me so much. Like, I, I just, I, I am so deeply grateful because it expands, it expands my soul. So I think the common theme is like, what is going to expand my soul now? <laughs> like, that's, that's what my work is about, you know, for me. And, and um, I, I'm, it, it all comes down to um, going deeper and understanding more. And yeah, that's, it can, it can be truly about anything. I think in terms of this idea of like what themes run through your work. Um, but mostly I think it is about liberation I think it is about, you know, I, I think about how I came from, I, I grew up in two very oppressive ideologies <laughs> uh, or systems of ideology. So I was, grew up in Singapore <laughs> and then I also grew up as a, as a very conservative Christian. Hmm. And those two, you know, taught me like, this is how, what you do to be a good citizen. And, you know, this is a country that's still, it's illegal to have gay sex. And then, um, I remember being nine years old and uh, praying for my sister's salvation because she was drinking a can of Coca-Cola because wow. Coke, 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 Coke has caffeine and caffeine is a gateway drug. Right. Wow. So, so being inside of those things and, and starting to like, you know, do church skits where I was always cast, not as Jesus or as Mary. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was Lucifer. <laughs> That's always, I was always Lucifer. Star from birth. <laughs> Queer from birth. Queer yeah. from birth. Typecast. And and people would be like, oh my God, you made him so funny. And I was like, great, you know. But the thing is, yeah. yeah. The, thing, the thing is, I was always, I was like, okay, well, why, like, why was, did he even have a choice? Right. Like I was actually like theater became the practice where I could like um, empathize with the scourge of the earth. And and those that were marginalized or possibly forced into a demonized position. Um, and that became something so uh, sweet to me, mm. like delicious, like, oh, this is so profoundly amazing to see something in a different way. And then my work from then was very much documentary theater. Um, there's, there's a lot that, that I did from there where I was like listening to people to subvert the grand narrative, right? Mm. And what is that but liberation? Like, what is that? 
I never actually thought about it that way. I've said this before. I've been like, okay, da da da, grand narrative, <laughs> blah blah blah. But I actually never put together that that is liberation. Right? And that feels like it goes hand in hand with awakening. You know, I mean, you got it. That's called yeah. I mean, you're not going to get to your liberation without acting in an awakened state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then thinking about your ensemble creation, uh, including the program at Pacific Union College that focuses uh, focuses on ensemble creation rooted in personal and communal history, what first drew you to that kind of work? You know, I was in Singapore and I was doing, I was in high school and um, it was such a gift to be a part of this program. Theater studies and drama was the program. It was one of the first in Singapore for um, what they call junior college. It was about 17 and 18 years old, like you know, junior and senior in, in, in high school here. And it meant a lot to me to be a part of that because at that point in time, I was still a very staunch Sunday Adventist. And I had the teachers actually made me ask permission from the rest of the students if I could do the course because it would affect when they could rehearse. And if they don't rehearse Friday night or perform Friday night or Saturday, because Seventh-day Adventists like, you know, obey the Sabbath, the, the Jewish Sabbath, um, I would not be able to pursue this line of study. And they took it very seriously. And I can remember that moment. I was under a tree and I was waiting for my classmates who I barely knew. We'd only known each other for maybe six weeks. Um, decide my, what would be the trajectory of my life because if i didn't do theater there i wouldn't be able to do theater and i would be like a i don't know i would be like history and math nothing wrong with that but yeah yeah just totally not, nothing wrong with that but for me oh yeah <laughs> and and i remember when they said yes i mean i actually think of that moment as like that is the moment where my life changed Right? I can name the different places for you where my life changed, and that's one of those moments. Mm-hmm. And, and we learned in that course to make device theater together. And so we had to come together and go, okay, well, what matters to us now? What, it wasn't like, what play will we do now? What will we stage? Are we going to do Trojan <laughs> women? Or, you know, much to do about nothing. I mean, that also happened. But <laughs> it was actually asking us, what is burning in you right now that you have to find out about and 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 that we would do it through the act of making theater. So theater was was not just a gym for empathy, which I love actually, I love when people talk about that, but it was a place where we could construct a new reality, a new world. And I think of that as like anything that I make is an anthropological wonder to itself, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that's a new thing. So, so that was something um, that was where I actually started to understand personal and communal history because we were making from our personal and communal history. We as Singaporean kids were going, what does freedom mean? What does aging mean in a place where, um, where, where you see a lot of older people as the ones who are cleaning up um, after. Um, everyone else in the in the food courts. Like, what does that mean? What what does it mean that parents will always like live with their children? It's it's not separate in the way it is here. Like, what does that mean to us, and what does that make us? So it was deeply contemplative, 
um, making new work and devising new work like that. And it really taught me that buy for and about, right? Or mm -hmm. buy us, for us, and about us to tease out more understanding of where we have been and what we are grappling with and holding in our hands and also going, well, does that need to change? Or what might we envision? Is this where we're supposed to be? What is supposed to? So that was how I learned how to do theater. Like that is at the very core of my being, you know, theater schmierder. I don't, but, but, when, but when it has action like that and it gives us the room for that, glory be. Glory be. That's pretty radical for that age, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's things that people usually encounter a little bit later in their theater practice and study. Are you still in touch with any of those people from that program? Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. Like, those are my people. And actually, my they friend, oh, in. my God. Okay, so, like, uh, Carol Sweetland Ho was, we, we had gone through the program, but we never made anything together. And we were both straight then. <laughs> okay, so, like, so like at that point in time, we, we, like, got through the program. We're like, we've never worked together. We should totally work together. We'll make something together. And we, like found the script and it was like we're doing the script and we're like this is not great this is not a great script what are we doing and we're like maybe we should write a piece together okay let's do it and then we this is really embarrassing oh my god i don't want to tell the story we're like, do it. we can always cut oh, it later if you don't oh want god. it okay okay so we we decided to write a script about these two women who were old maids sure we were 18. <laughs> Our old maid age was 28. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> I'm embarrassed by my 18 year old oh. self. I want to smack them upside down the head. Okay, so like, so 18. So we're like, okay, they're 28. And they're like, like all the men they're dating are really terrible, blah, blah, blah. And so they're like, oh, we should try being lesbians. And then, <laughs> This is gold. <laughs> just like as an experiment. Yeah. And just, like there's, okay. there's like one who's like smarter. They're, they're named Helen and Marge. And one's smarter and one's like not so smart. I was the not so smart one. And, um, and you know, they would like go to like lesbian clubs together. And then the bedroom scene was really, really painful. <laughs> and then, but charming, charming. And then they realized that they were like really good at being like in companions, right? That like deep friendship and love is like so much more intimate than the imagined romantic realities that we've been forced into believing in. And, and so, um, yeah, we made that. And when we, when we returned to it, when we were like 30 and we were, we're both not married <laughs> and now we're older than that. And we're like, Oh my God, the fact that we did that was absolutely ridiculous. Should do a rewrite. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we looked at it and I was like, I think we should leave this. Yeah. <laughs> because now I'm super queer and I'm like fluid. I'm like, what da da? Mm -hmm. And she keeps having these like terrible experiences with men. And I keep telling her, I was like, you know, the minute you go fluid, it's just gonna be so much easier. And she's like, 
you know, you are just so much more liberated and I'm not liberated just yet. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I want to help you. Yeah. Never too late. <laughs> Never. Yeah. Never. <laughs> So switching over, congrats on your new role as Associate Artistic Director at Organ Shakes. It's so exciting. And it's also exciting that it's a very different approach to this role, I think, outside of what theater folks would traditionally think of as artistic director role. Can you share more about how this is like a collaborative process and, and what that means? Yeah, I mean, I think Nataki Garrett is a visionary and... I remember her taking over that job and thinking, okay, uh, she's got the hardest job at American theater. She has the hardest job. And then I was like, there's no one I want to succeed more than her. <laughs> and then she released this, these new jobs. And I was like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> so just naming it's a, it's a three associate artistic director structure. Right. And so, one of them is the Director of Artistic Programming, which is Evren Ojkin, um, Director of Innovation and Strategy, Scarlett Kim, and Director of No Work, that's, that's me. Um, and so the three of us really work um, with also Alice Holden, the Director of Production, and Ataki, and so many other phenomenal people to sort of envision what is the next uh, life of OSF. Right through the pandemic with this team, all three of us are immigrants. Are you kidding me? Wow. Never seen, never ever, ever been in a structure Amazing. that was so like deeply connected to the world <laughs> and the perspectives of the world in that way. Um, so that to me is really like exciting. I feel like I learned from them a lot. Um, and I also feel like, um, mm, my job from being an artistic director at Musical Theater Factory, it has really it built me to be in a place where director of new work, I just have much more understanding of the, the field as a whole. Um, as an experimental theater maker, I didn't know that much about musicals until I did that job at MTF. And now I just have a much more wide perspective of work that's done and I also want to name that like I have never worked in a literary office and I've never applied to or been even tempted to apply to like a director of new play development like that's mm -hmm. even though I do develop a lot of new plays I I've never actually wanted to to um, apply for those jobs and the fact that Nataki's saying director of new work is a big shift and it's out it's it's I was like, do you really mean this? I mean, you like the job description was dope. You know, it's like really talking about moving it from tech centric stuff. And like, you know, it's just like pushing all that. So that like the job description was great. I was like, okay, yes. My dad was like, did, do they know you? And did they write it because they want you? And I'm like, it feels like that. <laughs> but no, but it feels like that. Thank you. Um, and, and, and the thing is, is that it came out on the press release. So there's a public record that I can hold, <laughs> you know, too, that, yeah. that, my, that, that my, actually my, um, I feel like my job is to change the field and the pipeline of how we think about art, um, think about plays, think about theater experiences. I think like that's my job is to know who's doing the things that are pushing the form, who's doing new processes. How do we 
um, provide more resources to folks who are making outside of the three weeks of rehearsal, tech, how many previews, mm -hmm. like how can we actually um, support work that has always been marginalized outside the system of American theater, which is very much about um, the playwright. Um, so, and to that, um, it, that's all wrapped up in, uh, you mentioned in an interview recently that you're kind of focusing on um, how colonization and subverting the form and content can like influence this new programming. Um, can you share more about how that connects to the works that you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the middle name, OSF, is Shakespeare, <laughs> right? Yep. And I find it really fascinating that um, I'm someone who's actually said no to directing Shakespeare in my home country because I'm not terribly interested in uh, continual perpetuation um, of like Shakespeare as like God. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and I will say that like the, my, um, um, uh, it, this is not new at OSF. It's, I think that the like former folks who have been in the literary departments have actually said, do we still do Shakespeare? Do we need to? This is, this is, it's so powerful to be in an organization with the middle name of Shakespeare that is so progressive and has a history of being progressive. And also people are still like, are you not going to do Shakespeare? It's like, we've been doing Shakespeare. We don't only do Shakespeare. Let's keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's really about how are we thinking about the Shakespeare? Who gets to do it? what is it actually saying now right and and what does it actually mean to do it um i personally am, am working on a show right now that's about to be on a uh, going a national tour it's madeline say it's where we belong um it was it premiered uh, one version of it premiered at shakespeare's globe in london and she is a mohegan theater maker who um is deeply grappling with the loss of her language or the continued near loss of her language that and and continued need to reclaim the language and revive the language um, amidst a history where she loved Shakespeare and became a Shakespeare scholar right so the tensions between that are so profound and I find myself actually working in a lot of Shakespeare's spaces but like being able to be a part of the work that is subverting that and helping people understand the tool that Shakespeare was used at um, to assimilate um, um, and and quite literally rip out uh, the Mohegan language and other native tongues um, for control and assimilation. So, you know, the work that I'm doing as an artist as someone who's like deeply looking is, is how are we interrogating what we continue to be addicted to, mm. right? Because mm. we're addicted to that. We're like, oh, I love the poetry. <laughs> oh, I know the story. <laughs> oh, I want to, I don't know why we want to see Juliet die again. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. All right. It's like, okay. Right. Like, um, how are we continuing to buy into that? And what are we, what, every time we do it, how can we really actually look at it? 
and you know for me to be honest it's not enough to put like queer bodies and bodies of color and be like yay that's good i i think we have a um a responsibility to again awaken state understanding what what this text is and what it means to us today and not just do it because it's shakespeare and not to say like artists always do that but i feel like they'll get produced if they do the shakespeare right mm -hmm. like 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 my my career has not been made by doing shakespeare and it was um i could have done that and i didn't want to i care about new work because i think that new work and the art that people are making right now the structures of storytelling that they are formatting right now is like reshifting the matrix it's not just getting stuck in it but they're trying to imagine new ways of getting out of these you know built in narratives that we're supposed to follow in some way shape or form and thinking about your work uh, pre-OSF, uh, you presented in many different venues and festivals around the world. And do you feel that your work is experienced differently depending on where it's being produced? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm not okay. My answer does not mean to be coy. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna name that. Like I do not mean to be coy by this. I think every every night is different and every place is the same. I don't mean to be coy. It's a both and, mm -hmm. right? So like if I do a work and then it like goes to China, people are people are responding to it. Like the, the performance changes every night because it's a live, right? It's a live performance. And there are systems that, that the Chinese audience is responding to versus the American audience and how they're responding to things. The, the, the frame is different. So of course, yes, it's different. And they're also responding to the same human need for longing <laughs> to, to be less lonely, to, um, to mourn their mothers, to grieve. I, I, I think it's like always very different and, and always the same. I did a piece called Labyrinth and I did it in China and other places in varying degrees of production. But one of the things is an immersive participatory piece. But um, it, it's an exercise that I do um, in performance and outside performance. And it's like a large piece of paper on the ground and people are invited in silence to step around that piece of paper and write down the thing that is most burning on their heart, right? And so, you know, I've done this with high school students. I've done this with college students in different places, in China and Singapore and <clears throat> in the US. And I've done it with audiences. And I can tell you that the there are differences where like high school students tend to care more about whether or not people like them, like on mass, like there's just like much more of those things. And, and those things would arise up, you know, everywhere, everywhere. And then the thing that runs through it is people always wonder about suffering. And they always wonder about the future. And they always wonder about the thing that or a person that they're grieving. Um, and there's always a deep sense of, 
um, how do I deal with uncertainty? Right? It's always present. I don't think that was quiet at all. Thank you. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I would write down on that piece of paper. Right. I feel oh. like it would change every day, though. What is it today? What, well, let's do that. What is it today? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I am a high school teacher, so I'm, right now I'm just like, how are we all going to get safely through the year? I feel like that's what's on my mind constantly. But yeah, yeah that was different than what it, it was probably like three weeks ago, right? So, Yeah, I think for me, it's like, how do we get people the resources they need? Like, there's so much exuberant wealth and there's so much need and how do we make sure people have what they need to, to thrive? And, you know, we're just, we're not set up for that at all. We're set up for the opposite. And it's just, it's every day. It just feels like so infuriating that it's, it's in the system. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. And this kind of goes back to, our conversation we were just having because I guess we're all kind of one audience <laughs> but we wanted to ask if you had a particular audience in mind when you are creating is there a group or individuals that you're creating for I don't think there used to be and I think there is now um I've learned so much from my collaborators right um, one of the first, I guess, professional shows I directed um, many years ago, Brian Bain and his lyrics from Lockdown, he had such incredible experience. He has the same degrees as Obama, and he was locked up twice um, for, you know, being a black man in the wrong place at the wrong time. Both times, of course, he was innocent. Um, and so he talks frequently about his experiences and the show was really made out of that being, you know, um, in that situation. And I remember working with him on something and he's like, me and I'm not making this for white people. And I was like, tell me what, what, and I started to understand that the framework that I was operating on was the experience that should be innocent until proven guilty and that his experience as a black man in America was guilty until proven innocent, right? Mm -hmm. And so that very framework was like, I had to understand that in order to like shift. And he would, he'd be like, any black person in the audience will understand that that frame is the truth. And if I shift that, they will not recognize it. And that they're the most important people that I am talking to, right? So I, I feel like that's always the thing, you know, same thing when I'm working with Maddie, I'm like, who, like, how do we handle the fact that most audiences are cis, white and straight? How, how do we, how do we, how do we do that? Right. And it's about access. It's about, you know, all of those things. And, and I remember when she said, like, the most important audience member for me is the 16-year-old Mohegan youth, because this is what I needed to hear then, right? And so I think, like, with every piece that I'm doing, if it's for me, or if I'm making it, or if it's, like, who I'm, I'm always asking them, who are you making for? 
And then I'm directing according to that. I'm holding to, to their vision and their impulse. And then if it's something that I'm making, I think that's something I have to do too. Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm making a piece right now. And I think that's something that's actually something. Thank you. This is, hey, this is on Joe. We're here for you. <laughs> Art therapy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who is my audience that I'm creating for? You know, and I have to say, I'm making a show right now at TDM, uh, Theater, Dance, and Media at Harvard. And they basically said, do whatever you want. You make whatever you want. You do whatever you want. Wow. And I was like, oh, amazing. So <laughs> my my friend Troy Anthony and I are making a piece about our friendship. We're teaching classical theater making through contemplation and relationship. And we're making um, a, a piece about that in order to understand um, anti-Blackness and POC communities and um, what that means for him as a Black man growing up in uh, queer Black man growing up in Kentucky and me as a queer Singaporean, um, like both of us were something avenous. What? And and just sort of like unpacking the last, you know, 20 months of me going back to Singapore and understanding the global anti-blackness everywhere. And just sort of piecing together those stories with with um um an Alice Walker uh, essay. Um so so when I'm doing that and I'm in the class they specifically asked me to come in because they have 40% Asian students in their concentration. Wow. Right? That's huge. At Harvard. At wow. Harvard. You wow. you know, you know that half of these kids are not telling their parents they're also concentrating. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. Can't out <laughs> I'm like, you know, doing you know, economics and <laughs> history and math. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, but I, but I'm in there, and I hear them, and I hear how, oh, I hear their how they're talking about how they're growing up and everything, and I'm just like, wow, that's so beautiful to be in that room to like be with my younger selves. I mean, they were like way smarter than I ever was, you know, like, or I ever will be like, that's try not trying to like compare myself to these students at all. They're <laughs> way smarter. Um, but, you know, even, even the moment of come of, of, of me, of them asking me about gender, about why I use they and she pronouns and being, and me being able to speak about it. And then our first day of class, one of them came out. They were like, I've never really said this wow. before. Aww. Um, you know, when, when I've never, I've never said it, but I'm really thinking about they, them, and it feels really good to me. And so, uh, thank you if you use it. I, it's good. And then, you know, later on, Troy looked at me and he was like, Shit, like they just came out. That's so what? And I feel like maybe that's what I'm making for. Like I'm making for people. I'm making about understanding what it what I needed to do to come out to be liberated mm -hmm. and hopefully just like how so many students of mine or artists that I have been in conversation with and everything have given me the courage to be liberated it's almost like passing it on mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so that's the audience I have in mind those that are seeking liberation and you know like because God knows I certainly received that from my collaborators and the artists that 
um, I've been so grateful to be in community with. That's so heartwarming to hear. Thank you. I think that your fan club should also be called Those Seeking Liberation. If people come to my <laughs> they the can just get shirts made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy a hat that says that. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the AAPI community, you're one of the organizers for this group that uh, also has a very long name, and it's the Women, Trans, Femme, Non-Binary, AAPI, Diasporic Artist Group. And that's been meeting over the past couple of years. I've been following along. Um, can you share what that space has been like for you, and what, what do you hope that community will become? Absolutely. I mean, I just want to shout out Haruna Lee and Ayagawa. Um, this group came from um, their community building and engagement uh, through Suicide Forest um, that premiered at Bushwick Star. Really extraordinary work that they did. And I remember the inaugural potluck, right? Um, and how beautifully it was facilitated to be in that space to like have our bodies move through an imagined map of the world together to see how we were born all across the world and how we've all gathered here now from like, oh, diaspora. It was incredibly moving and also really good cooks hang out there. <laughs> like really, like that potluck uh, slam. So <laughs> yum. <clears throat> um, so I, I I just loved it for that. And they would continue to have these potlucks and would continue to go. And I would say that the space you don't you don't know what it means until the shit goes down. And then it is revealed why I was there all the time. Right? That's like chosen family right there. And I remember when the shootings in Atlanta, where those women were shot, <clears throat> and the way in which we invited to gather, and it felt like an organic holding, because we had continued to gather across the pandemic and across, you know, it wasn't just like we're, we're gathering in times where we think we might need each other, but by the time we needed each other, we were there and we had built those connections. So um, we just recently met in person. We had a, we finally were able to meet in person at a potluck in Prospect Park. It was, it was really deeply moving to be together again. And there's always someone new there. So like there are like a lot of us are like, oh, hi, hi, And there's always someone new that like got the thing, but lived in Chicago and it could like zoom online. But then now they're in New York for um, <clears throat> the weekend. And the folks that are there really come from, you know, all sorts of artistic practices. Um, so it feels, you know, when you think of a group like women, trans, femme, non-binary, AAPI, diasporic artist group, you're like, well, <laughs> they're all going to be the same. It could not be, it could not be more beautifully um, diverse in uh, just how many kinds of 
people fit into that very <laughs> small category. <laughs> so to me, it's like, oh, to, okay, this is what it's like. You know, we talk about like the monolith of Asian. Mm -hmm. So like it is really the expansion of monolith of Asian in a way that is unimaginable to um, most people's comprehension of that. That's awesome. I, um, have, I've been on the emails for the events and I haven't been able to make any of them. And I, I hope to the next one. Um, and I was supposed, there was one on, I think, AAPI sexuality around suicide forest. And I was like, all set to go to that. And then the pandemic happened. So I'm looking forward to more, more events. Me too. We're going to jump over to a section we call queering the canon. And You've, we already talked about our Shakespeare thoughts, right? <laughs> but even beyond Shakespeare, you've done a lot of classical reimagining or classical staging in the past. Is there a show that you would like to queerly reimagine or one that you may have already queerly reimagined and would like to share with us? So <clears throat> the visionary Hannah Sharif at St. Louis Rep before the pandemic was like, May Anne. I think I would like you to do Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this. I'm so glad it's coming up. <laughs> and I was like, "What?" I was like, "Okay, I'm a weirdo. I'm just letting you know." You know, it was my first like big regional reach out. <laughs> I was like, "They want oh," and I was like, "I I wonder if this whole like MTF artistic director has duped enough people to make them think <laughs> that like." I'm a musical theater director, which I'm not. Like, I'm a music theater director. I don't have a ton of musicals under my belt. It's it's not been a priority. I, I love music theater, right? So I was like, okay, okay, here we go. And then I talk to Amelia, um, the associate artistic director, and she's like, oh, we invited you because we've been fans of how you think about, like, you as an artist. I was like, okay, great. Well, I hope you like this idea. But the so the idea is, it's like you're at queer camp, and <laughs> already on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people are like, oh my god, I love little shop of bars. And people are like, okay, let's do it like a live puppet film. So, <laughs> I'm so excited about I, this. <laughs> I tend to be someone who just loves excess in some ways. Like I'm either a minimalist or I'm like excess. I'm like, it's not just the plant. It's also the character <laughs> and the way in which they can react to each other and like all of that. So I, I tend to love like that kind of thing. And, you know, I was like, what are these, you know, the three, what are the chorus? Who are they? And I was like, what if they're like boys? You know, like when they're like, I was really inspired by a strange loop. And I was like, John Michael Lyle, oh my God, so funny, you know? And then like, there's the older queer who's like, I'm so over this, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, how, how can we like infuse that? Um, and, and I just saw that I was like, this is, this is the world I want to live in. Do you know what I mean? Like Diana O as the plant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I was mm -hmm. like, oh, like definitely, you know, um, I just, I, at this point am not interested in, in things that are not queer. 
right? And this, and 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 I, I would say the what I mean by that is, queer, is an active state of resisting the cis hetero patriarchy white supremacist reality that we're in. So everyone is queer. How much they know it, how much they understand that the activation of queer will save us all is different, right? So that's what I mean by queer. And so to me, everything should be queered. All the canon should be queered. And if you're not queering it, you're actually perpetuating the cis heteronormative patriarchy white supremacist um, soup that we have been swimming in. Love that. Uh, I love that definition of queer too. I feel like Diana mm-hmm. also shared that in her uh, their lingerie play as well. Yes, <laughs> I was a dramaturg on that. Oh, amazing! And that, oh, wow! Yes, that makes yes. a lot of sense. And, and they taught me that absolutely beautiful. I love it. Amazing. <laughs> um, the changing to our queer culture, Rex. Uh, is there any queer culture culture that you're currently consuming? It could be like books, movies, events. Yeah, I want to highly recommend a book that I recently got as a gift from my partner. And it's called Eye to Eye Photographs, Eye to Eye Portraits of Lesbians, Photographs by Jeb, J-E-B. And I remember it was shared on social media by Alexis Pauline Gums. And I like looked at those photos and I wept and then I got it for her for one of our anniversaries and it was beautiful um also queer art forum is have uh happening right now uh, queer art is having a film uh series at uh, the ifc right now uh roxanne gay is presenting at one of them i was like wow that's, yes. <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> so awesome so that's that's also happening that i'm really excited about i just read uh on her email uh newsletter she just sent out a week blog of her dog's uh dietary habits oh i started reading that already yeah (laughs) it's so good content i need (laughs) so good and then um before we wrap up our last section we call queer gives we like to shout out a mutual aid fund an organization a person who's doing great work in the community is there someone, some group that you would like to share with us for people to follow and support? I do. Yeah, I want to shout out the Jean Moy Dark Fund. And that's a fund set up by Nia Witherspoon, who is a tremendous artist. Um, and what she's doing, it's it's in it's in honor of her, um, named after her grandmother. But it's for a, a safe retreat space for black trans women um, and how um, powerful uh, a space to actually be able to rest uh, might be and as as a place of rest and artist retreat. So um, um, I think she's uh, sponsored by Bax um, there, but the Jean Moy Dark Fund by Nia Witherspoon is what I'd love to highlight and lift up. Awesome. And we'll share that on our social media and ask uh, folks to donate as well. Um, and then finally, how can folks follow you online? Oh, um, <laughs> um, I guess I'm on Insta. So <laughs> I don't have to follow you if you don't want them to. <laughs> I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm not like that. I don't. I barely post. I'm. <laughs> yeah. Cool. How can we? How can we find Little Shop though? Yeah. 
Oh my God. That's, that's going to be done later on, later on. We we're it's going to happen, but like, yeah, I'm really excited about that production. Okay. That's like field trip worthy. Like got to check that out. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Oh, no, well, thank you so much, Van. This was this is wonderful, and um, I feel like I need to like print out the transcript of this and go back and highlight things. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, not like it a graduate amazing. course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, your students are very lucky to have you. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us and share us with your friends. We'd love to hear from you if you have any queer culture recommendations or other ideas about how to queer the canon. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251 or email us at thesisonjoan at gmail.com. And you can follow us on social. We're on Instagram and Twitter at thesisonjoan. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. Oh, I hate that character of Finley so much. <laughs> I cannot oh my God. stand her. Thank God she's going to rehab, though. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. That'll was... be a whole thing. Yeah. Did you finish the season? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just so, I'm so annoyed they're back to Bet and Tina. Like, why? I why? know. Like, who even cares? Also, don't push Rosie out of the show. Yeah. <laughs> and like your only butch character and you yep. make her seem like kind of like a bumbling, like right? not as good as Bet Porter person. Like, yeah. Like ugh. not smart, not competent, like can't hang. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and like the only character, like, right. The only character who's like not a size four or six. Like, yeah. Yep. It's like Rosie was covering a lot of uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of groups there and it was she I was don't like know. the new Max, just like not as extreme as Max, but yeah. Mm-hmm. That was upsetting. And then yeah, Bet is just me. I'm like, Bet, you can't get away with this kind of behavior anymore of just treating people you supposedly care about like garbage. Yeah, Bet was kind of the worst. Yeah. It made me love Gigi so much because she Gigi, yeah. Oh, all hail just do a spin-off with Gigi like right? that's it <laughs> like, like, that's all we need <laughs> she's so beautiful and confident and like she has the like type a personality of bet but she's kind mm-hmm. and right and she cares about people yeah yeah <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.